Hey everyone, and welcome back to part two of our Titles to Hold episode from the Grape to Glass podcast. Part one, we discussed full-time positions within wine production, and today we're going to wrap up with the winemaker and then transition into harvest roles. Without further ado, let's get into it. winemakers i guess that's the title every baby ecologist wants to have at some point <laughs> when they graduate college it's the fun one it's the one everybody goes ooh about and then people who are actually in the industry go yeah you know it is fun it's a fun title to have it's fun to tell that you're a winemaker because as we're as this podcast is titled around people think it's romance people see you as this uh, suave clean guy that just gets to go through and taste wine all day that is true. There are some days where you sit down at the table and you taste wine. I'll tell you right now, as being that winemaker and going through some of those blending trials and tastings, it's real old and tiring after a while. In fact, I got given, what was it? I got given a beer koozie by one of our vendors. I can't really put my finger on who it was, but I think it was a yeast vendor or something. Give me a beer koozie and it says it takes a lot of beer to make good wine. <laughs> and that is so true, mostly because as a winemaker, I don't drink a lot of wine all the time. I have a lot of wine in my house and I drink probably more than the average person of wine, I guess. But I drink more beer than wine a lot of times. And that's just merely because as a winemaker, I will pick apart that wine and I will sit there and everybody who's in the wine industry will do that with wine. And you, if you go to tastings and you're next to somebody who works in the industry at a tasting room, you're going to look at them like, what is their freaking problem? Because I'm totally the guy at the tasting room. Unfortunately, they'll go in and be like, what was your pH on this? <laughs> I have done that before. What was the TA at bottling? Uh, how, what's your percentage of oak? And these poor tasting room assistants or associates are pulling out these notebooks of these sheets that they know exist, but they never use them. Yes, when they were hired, they're, they're told, read through this. You need to know all of, these, all of this information. Nobody does. Nobody in tasting room knows this information by heart. If they do, I will totally buy a case of wine off you. If I walk into your tasting room and you're able to just rattle off all of my questions for the whole flight, you, you've sold a case guaranteed. So the winemaker is that I call the the jack of all trades. They need to be many, many parts. As Colby and I were preparing this episode, we started talking about like, what does a winemaker do? And even we even dove into and looked at some job descriptions of winemakers that people were currently hiring for a winemaker. They got to be a salesman. They got to be able to go out and sell the wine. Like I was saying at the beginning, during harvest, putting on that polo shirt in the middle of crushing grapes to look cleaner to go sell the piece of wine and then taking that polo shirt back off because I know I'm going to need it in an hour or two and going back out to the crush pad with my dirty harvest clothes on. It got to be HR. I would say 90%, maybe 80% of wineries. They, if not the only HR person, they are one of the HR people. So they're doing the, at least outside of seller hands and lab techs, they are doing interviews. They are going to interview very knowledgeable. They're, they're hired for an assistant winemaker. They're going to interview that assistant winemaker, even the seller master, and probably some seller hands. You've got to be confident. I know as a winemaker, if I was hiring a lab tech, if I knew my winery was hiring a lab tech, I would probably get resumes sent to me or I would have them sent to the enologist. The enologist would look through and go, each of the people, we'd sit down, have a meeting, and I'd be part of that hiring discussion. HR, they got to be part of it. They also got to be part social referee 
sometimes being able to identify, hey, my seller master and my assistant winemaker are butting heads a lot. Let's sit down and have a conversation about that. The winemaker definitely has to be the cool head in the storm, especially during harvest. It is the best way to put it is a storm. I umpired Girls Fast Pitch for almost 20 years and I still dabble in that a little bit. I don't do it as much now my kids run. I take a lot of skills that I learned from a lot of people being crazy and angry around me and being able to be that zen calm person. I really take that into the winemaking role and I think a lot of winemakers need to and do. Can't be somebody who flies off the handle really quick. You can't have a short fuse. Can't be in any of that area as a winemaker. You, you gotta be the cool, calm captain of the ship sort of person. And so it's th this term I think is used across the world of winemaking, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, all that. And even in America, I think winemaker is pretty key. And like I said, at most quote unquote, at least publicly the romantic position, but it really isn't. They are to start off, they're going to oversee the big picture, fruit intake, winery logistics. They're going to make the pick calls for harvest. So they're going to be out in that vineyard or when the lab receives that vineyard sample, they're going to request that the lab saves them some berries off of a cluster or a cluster of grapes for them to taste that grape. They're going to have to be able to analyze what does that juice taste like? Where am I going to take it? They're going to track the wine on wine tracking software. A lot of what I've used and that Kobe uses nowadays, it's really awesome and easy. There's phone apps with our wine tracking database on it. So I can be sitting at home at midnight, drinking a beer on the couch going, wait, what were those numbers? I can be sitting at home writing the work orders for the next day. So it's taken a lot of that winemaker 16 hour day and split it between locations. Because as we could all say, even over the last couple of years, as people have gotten to be able to work from home, that's nice. It's not so bad to be able to sit at home and you can get up, have a snack, do laundry, but continue to do a little bit of that work from home. And so that wine tracking software and the winemaker would be the one who would pick that more than like, I think that there's some wineries, if it's an established winery that's been using a particular software for a long period of time, it would be foolish of the winemaker to try and get them switched over because that's a large amount of data. And as a winemaker, if I walk into a winery, I want to see historical records because how do I know how that particular vineyard has worked over the past? It's going to ferment similar. The wine's going to turn out pretty similar unless a forest fire that happened next door or something outside inputs that we can't control. They're going to track it. They're going to, like I said, look at the history, look at the older generations of grapes are going to harvest. They're going to coordinate harvest. They're going to be the liaison, the coordinator between the fields. Most wineries, I'm going to break the news to some people, don't own their vineyards. Most don't own their vineyards. State wineries, those own their own vineyards, or at least the wines that they call a state are from a vineyard that they own. But if you're a winery of any type of size, you're working with multiple growers. I know out here in the Columbia Valley of Washington, there's a millions of acres of wine grapes that aren't owned by a wine. There are large vineyards, corporations and farms that just grow the grapes. It's, for example, I guess the best way I'd put it, being a dairy kid, Dairy Gold does not own the dairy farms. Similar sort of deal. And so they're going to be the coordinator. I know at really large wineries, when there's multiple winemakers, one winemaker's just in charge of doing that coordination. That's a full-time job. Those picking, and they're the person that's going, where are the grapes at? Especially where Colby works, they work with grapes from the Columbia Valley of Washington all the way through Northern California. Grapes are coming into that winery in Oregon from all those places. And so that winemaker sometimes has to travel down to California to go look at that vineyard when it's coming close to harvest. They got to travel up to Washington to look at those grapes and that sort of thing. So it's a lot of time from the winemaker 
he's not necessarily inside the winery cellar building. Now, albeit he's still working with the assistant, that's where the assistant would come in and go and this is what I need done this week because maybe if it's close to harvest, this fruit's early, we got to get these tanks emptied or whatever. So they're going to make all those choices. They're going to oversee wine movements on a large scale. Assistant winemaker is going to see the small movements like we talked before from tank to tank. The winemaker's going to go, yep, get that wine out. We got to get it packaged. Packaging needs it. Or they're going to know, hey, my distributors even running out of this wine from last year. We're out of Syrah, 2020 Syrah. We got to get the 2021 Syrah package and out to those distributors so we don't have a break because those distributors on the dirty salesman side that the winemaker has to be are going to give up your shelf space if you don't have that wine ready to go. And so that's a big deal in a competitive market and the winemaker has to do that. They got to be the person that, you know, is doing the HR, the salesman, they got to know the science, right? Because the enologist is giving them scientific numbers that they got to be that person to know that. They also got to know when it comes to like harvest, seller rat, they got to be part seller rat. They got to know the ins and outs of all of their equipment. Sometimes they're the person to make the decision on buying that equipment. Great. That's a job to get to choose what presses you're going to use, what size you need and all that kind of stuff. Pressure though, you got to be the person to know it in and out because it's going to come through the chain though. And sometimes you're the only person that knows how to fix that fault that that computer on the press is giving you because everybody else up the chain has no clue because it's never shown up before. But you were the guy to hear the spiel, I guess, or the talk and they delivered it or whatever, or introduced it to you. So there's all that kind of stuff. You're going to make all input decisions. Final choice of yeast for that particular wine sits on your shoulders. Final decision of whether that wine goes to barrel or whether you use an oak alternative, as we called them, but it's still oak. It's just oak chopped up into cubes or balls or little sticks or whatever. And that wine's going to stay in tank. In large wineries, they don't put it in barrel. They use sticks and cubes and balls, even down to little tiny chips, like size of a grain of rice or something they'll put in there. And so you've got to be the decision to go, is this worth our quality? Is this where we're at? Is this what I need to do? Because you're the budget guy too. The assistant winemaker is going to be in charge of working within that budget that you Give him or her to get those inputs. You got to be the guy to go, I can't afford to buy a thousand brand new barrels. So this wine, I better choose something else. I better choose the staves or the little blocks or something to go in there. You're going to require your research design of blending trials, oak trials, acid trials, and you're going to be the one to tell the enologist and the assistant winemaker to set those trials up. They're going to be the ones to execute them. Most likely you're not going to be running, like if you're testing out new oak alternatives on your Pinot Noir and you're not going to be the one to go out and pull the samples out of the cellar. You're not going to be the one to put the alternative in the bottle and do all that trial and time it. No, two weeks down the road, remember that's done. We got to go test it or whatever. That's going to be on your assistant winemaker, you know, but you're going to be the one going, I think we should go this route. Let's get a bunch of samples from salesmen and let's try it out. And you're going to direct if, it, if the assistant winemaker is the conductor of the orchestra, you're the manager of the entire opera operation. You're going to be responsible for people and as well as inputs and everything else. You're going to look at, I think I spoke on this a little earlier, but the continuity of the vintage, you're going to want to make sure big picture one. It matches the history of your wine and what your wineries put out. A lot of these small wineries, their main wine buyers is their wine club. That wine club, a lot of those members might have joined when you started your winery and 15 years ago. They might be new people who've tasted 
one or two vintages previous and like your wine. Those are consistent quarterly sales. And so as a winemaker, you have to know, okay, I can't take my Pinot Noir and make it super tangy and acidic now because I'm trying to be an artist and that's cool and trendy or whatever, unless your wine club expects that. You might do a limited release of that and they think, oh, that's fun and cool. But you still got to have the story of your winery is these choices that have historically been made. So if you're a new winemaker coming into that winery, you're going to match the previous winemakers. It's going to change. You're a different person, taster. Everybody tastes things differently. So you might taste things differently. Like Kobe was telling me earlier, tell them about your two winemakers that you work with and how they taste. Yeah. So we currently have two winemakers, an assistant winemaker and myself, the enologist, as like our winemaking team. And the two winemakers have the exact opposite palettes completely. They can't agree on anything, which can be a very good thing. We can diversify our wine and our profile and we can also all butt heads. I know that my palette is very similar to one of the winemakers, whereas the assistant winemaker's palette is very similar to the other winemakers. And that helps us in a way because one of us can pick out a different fault easier than another person. I can smell something that another person can't and it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Sometimes we do have to compromise on what we want our wine to taste like. And sometimes I don't like something, but I know that this wine will sell better because it's what the customer is expecting. And coming from Washington, I am used to like big, bold, barrel aged wine. Whereas now we're doing Pinot and that's not what Pinot is. It's very soft, elegant, subtle, and sometimes earthy. So one of the other winemakers she can pick those out and say that this is like what a Pinot is supposed to taste like, where I'm like, it needs more oak. Let's throw more oak on it. And they're like, that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do here. So it has been a very different experience coming from a smaller winery where we had one winemaker and he followed the previous vintages. The winery has been up for almost 27 years and their wine club knows what they're expecting. And the same thing goes for us where our customers want the same thing, but we are able to kind of branch out and try something new. It does help when someone doesn't see, taste, smell the same as you do. It will actually improve the quality of our wine. I can't smell some kind of fault or I can't taste this specific bitterness, whereas another winemaker can. And so then I know what to watch out for. Maybe I've never come across this one specific thing in our wine. I've never smelled or tasted it before or something. And this winemaker is like, oh yeah, this is what I'm tasting or smelling. So then the next time we pull that sample or that wine and they say it again, I can slowly start to realize like, oh, that's what this is. So if I do move on or if another winemaker moves on and we have someone new come on, I can continue that and teach somebody else, this is what we're looking for. This is what this fault may be, or this positive thing about the wine may be that you might not have ever dealt with before. And so that's where it's always good to have other people. But ultimately, if you're a single winemaker or a two-person winemaking winemaker team, the decisions lie on your guys' shoulders to fit into either historical or morphing that change jet. You don't want to shock your main wine buyers too much, but there is a way to create change and profiles a little bit differently, as well as, you know, when Comey was talking about that, there's also something about being on a team where somebody can go, well, that's being a little too picky because maybe over 10,000 gallons, it's not really going to make a difference whether you change that by a half 
that or something. And so, you know, yeah, you'll definitely chase the difference in a little tiny eight ounce sample, but is that going to calculate out? And that's part of being a winemaker that you got to know, is that really worth making that decision on? Or is it sometimes the biggest decision? It's not making a decision on it. Winemakers are also responsible for harvest problems, which we're going to dive into in a couple of minutes here, but they are the main additive choice maker. Like you said, sometimes depending on the size of winemaker, they're also going to be marketing manager, package designer, salesman. Some of these choices, they got to be the, they're the person that's coordinating the legality of everything. Got to submit your label profiles. For us, it's the TTB, which is the tobacco, alcohol, firearms. I don't know everything that semi-illegal in most other countries, we lump it into one department here in the United States and we call it the TTB. They are the ones that have a whole department. How your wine label looks, what has to be on it, is the government warning on there, is the alcohol on I think there now there has to be a sulfur warning for allergies. You're responsible for making sure all that stuff is on there and you're the final person to approve that. Sometimes, depending on the size of the winery, if the winemaker isn't the owner of the winery, you're going to be the person to communicate the ownership of your budgets and the aspects. And maybe they drift out to the seller and see something happening that they don't like to see. They're going to talk to you about it. They're coming to you. And even if you have no clue about what, why, because they saw one specific instance, you can go to your assistant, your knowledge, your selling master. You know the people to at least go talk to about why that might have been. You got to know. You have to know everything at all times. That's kind of your job. You're going to oversee all staff training and safety. That lands on you. Somebody gets hurt, they're coming to you. The ownership is going to come to you. The legal department or lawyer is going to come to you. So you have to make sure that if you're not conducting safety, which in large wineries, you're not the one giving safety lectures. Well, wineries, you probably are the one giving safety lectures, but you have to make sure that that is happening. You know, you have to make sure that you're not walking out to a winery with a wet floor and there's exposed wires around. You know, obviously we use this winery equipment uses very high voltages that will kill people. And so you got to be the person to make sure that you have somebody in place making sure that's not going to happen. Probably your seller mess. But what stops with you is, is the best way to put it. You're gonna request buys on tech upgrades. If your crossflow filter sucks and is taking a lot of manpower and you go, hey, there's this crossflow that will automatically clean itself instead of having one of my seller hands need to go switch the, the detergents and the reagents, you're gonna be the person to go, hey, ownership, can I get you know some money for this? This will save us over this period of time. You gotta be able to do those calculations and, and, and sell that. So the winemaker, it's hard say not as romantic as a lot of people think there are the fun parts it's great it's exciting i love it i wouldn't be talking about it and wanting everybody else to know about it if i didn't love it but you know there are the parts that are kind of the, the grind parts the admin grind part and then there is yeah i spent a day tasting through wine that was awesome and fun but you're doing it with a very educated eye you're really it's like being an artist, painting a picture, then chopping that picture up into a bunch of bits that only reform it back into a very similar picture. You tear apart your work every single time you taste it just to see how you can improve it and make it better, which is, I think is a sign of a good winemaker. But I also think that the winemaker has to be an advocate for everybody. I know that the wine production side is kind of, I don't know if I want to say it, but like the middle child. They're kind of forgotten a little bit. They are kind of put on the back burner and the winemaker has to be the advocate if we need a new pump or we need something and the ownership is hesitant to want to put that money towards that because they want to put the money towards marketing, which is going to sell our wine. The winemaker needs to be the one to say, 
this is going to be worth it in the long run. You may not see the, the owners, everybody else will not actually see where that money is going or why that pump needs to be a new pump. But the winemaker is the one that's going to be the advocate and know that this is actually going to be worth it. They're the ones that work with the ownership and explain and prove why winemaking as dirty, ugly, and disgusting as it can be, why we want it to be treated as something pretty shiny and new. I just think that's part of a good winemaker as well. A winemaker, as you have mentioned before, is part salesman. They are part scientist. They are part seller rat. They are the jack of all trades. I think it takes a very specific person to be a winemaker. I think you are either born to be a winemaker or you are not. I think you can learn all of these parts, but I think there is some kind of quality winemakers have about themselves where they can jump in a cellar and start doing cellar work and then put on a polo or a really pretty sweater, curl their hair, throw on some makeup, go to a dinner and sell the wine that they currently have under their fingernails and why their hands are stained red and still be able to connect with the people. I know that wine production is a lot of behind the scenes. We don't see people unless they are brought through. I know some wineries do cellar tours and they'll bring people through and they get to see the behind the scenes, but we still aren't talking to those people. We are just there doing our work and they see us doing our work, but they still don't understand A winemaker is able to do all of that and somehow still make it romantic in a way. It's both a science and an art. And I think that's what's so amazing about winemaking is you're all of it. You're everything. You're the whole package. That's definitely what attracted me to winemaking. You know, being a farm kid, coming from a farm community, I like working with my hands. I still do. I do woodworking a lot in my garage and all that sort of thing. But I loved the part that I could go out and get tired doing physical work, but I could still use chemistry and science and education to do it which is also what I am spending my hard-earned money on paying off those student loans. And so it's like, I love that side of it. I love the ability to do it. As a winemaker, I like doing some of the wine. You know, some people get monthly budget results or, you know, quick, quicker results, beer, much quicker results when you're making beer. You can make four or five different beers or more, way more during a year. Wine, you get one shot at it per year. And sometimes you get one shot at it every other year if it has to sit barrel and age a while. So it's all those things. And like we always keep mentioning the hard parts, the elusive harvest, just when you thought we were done. All of these jobs change when it comes to harvest. And we're going to talk about that. So it's going to be what more a bridge per job title because we've talked about a lot of good things, but the jobs change. <laughs> start with interns and harvest help. There are part-time people that we have to hire and bring on during harvest because there's just way too much work to do. A lot of it, way too much cleaning that needs done. Unfortunately, if you're a harvest intern, that's the job of a lot of it. The interns are the physical bones and backbone of harvest. They're the ones that are looking up the hoses and the lines and the valves and the pumps. And they're the ones that are walking night after night, walking those hoses out or day after day into the tanks. They're the ones that are getting in the tank when it's been drained and digging out for 
10, 50 tons of grape skins into bins so that those red grape skins can go get pressed for the juice of the campaign because they're little sponges too. They're the guys to do it. They're the labor. They're the hard workers. And I, as a winemaker, I treat them that way as a cherished piece of our winery because little do they know, a lot of them have no, no wine experience. Zero. Never stepped foot in a winery. Didn't know what that was about. Thought it was romantic. You know, some of them look at it and go, holy crap, this is it. I'm out. Some of them like me go, this is it. This is awesome. Let's do this some more. And so that's the way it, it kind of works. And finding those people that think it's awesome are the ones you hang on to. Without them, most wineries will not get through harvest. Even at the smallest winery that I worked at, there were harvest interns. There were two, so we didn't hire very many, but they were still there. They're there to lighten the load for the full-time staff. That's pretty imperative. And when we talk about seller master and the seller hands training, this is where that comes in. Supervising, this is where that comes in. Depending on the size of wineries, you know, like I said, I hired two seller hands. Some wineries will hire 40 seller, new seller interns, that sort of thing. But we also need them on Colby's side of things. handful or two of seller interns and then the lab will also need one to maybe three lab interns we may need harvest winemakers lab techs enologists assistant winemakers we may basically hire a whole nother set of our company our production side we might need another set of us to be there i know i've worked at very large wineries that run 24 7 we can't be there 24 7 so we need someone to step in and be me for the other half of the day or be Joe for the other half of the day. And it depends where our needs are at. I know we have hired multiple harvest winemakers just to kind of divvy it up, make it easier for the winemaker. I have worked with a one lab intern who is lab and seller, and they help me pull samples and get it running for me. And then that's all they do. And I'm the one that records the numbers and moves on. Whereas I've also had lab interns who do everything for me where they pull samples, run samples, input samples, prep trials for me. And I oversee it all just because the enologist, the seller master, assistant winemaker kind of take a step back or a step up. Everybody kind of takes a step up from their job. The seller hands take a step up and they are now kind of like a seller master in a way where they are training those interns mm -hmm. to do their jobs for them. For the most part, full-time production crew, they are kind of the supervisors for everybody where the interns will come in and take over your job for you. And it kind of just depends on how many tons we're producing and how quickly we need to turn around. If we need to turn around things within a week or two weeks, we may need more people to do that because we need somebody pressing, somebody connecting the lines to the tank that they're pressing to. We need somebody draining a tank. We need someone digging out a tank and then we need someone cleaning that tank so we can plug it back into that tank and do it all over again within 24 hours. It just depends. And these jobs are temporary and can last anywhere from two to five months, depending on how much we're needed. When it comes to the lab, they come in a month before everybody else because they need to do vineyard analysis and vineyard sampling. They need a little bit more training on lab equipment and for the seller, they come in and they have to know 
the proper way to clean. And it's a lot of cleaning when you first mm-hmm. get on. You get one chance on training for onboarding and you want them to be prepared because they don't know what to expect. They know that grapes are coming in, but they have no idea until it hits them. So proper training, proper onboarding. It can be annoying because all you do is clean and you're wondering why you're doing this four times a day, every single day for a week. But then when it comes time for harvest, you don't even have to think about it. You know how to do your job. Harvest all depends on the season. If I know last year it was really hot, so everything was ripe and ready to go. Our harvest lasted roughly two months. Whereas previous years, we started in August. We weren't done until Thanksgiving, not even Christmas time. This job is temporary and you don't really have an end date. You kind of have to go with the flow. We may even ask people to stay on. We may need only a couple of people to stay on and help us as things are still fermenting, but we don't need 15 people anymore. We need three extra hands because things have slowed down. And intern doesn't necessarily mean intern. That can be referred to as harvest help or a seasonal or a harvest assistant. We just call all of our temporary workers interns. And I am not actually sure how that got started. And it's not for school. We just call everybody an intern. I do think that's where it started. I think it started as school internships and You're right. And I think all wineries call their seasonal labor interns. Not the very first time I was a harvest intern, but I was just not even going through school. But I think maybe a lot of wineries look at it as a learning opportunity that those people are there and and you're able to share more the the knowledge and learning. Because you're right. They don't know why they're pressure watching weeks straight every single thing. Why do I have to get inside this press to clean it up? I don't even know how it works. You know, that sort of thing. Well, because there's spiders and cobwebs living in it because it hasn't been used for nine months, that sort of thing. And so you're you're right, Kobe. It, it is weird that we call them seasonal labor interns. I, I do wish that more wineries would tap into the teaching market. That's somewhat of also what calls me to being a winemaker consultant and even doing this podcast is I like to share that with people. And I want people to be as excited about the physical process of making wine as I am. I, I'm super so excited about it. And so that's kind of where we sit. And you talking about how the seller hands, the full-time seller hands turn into trainers. I look at it kind of like a, I guess, a department store. They turn into the area managers or the the section managers, like school department manager. That might correlate to your your seller hand that's in charge of pressing your press master or something. That sort of coordination to where they have three or four associates working underneath them. But in reality, they're the manager, they're in charge. And that's definitely how larger wineries, I think, do that. They have a person kind of day in and day out. This seller hand knows these presses. And so they're our press master. And sometimes on the crush pad, that's who presses. Let's talk about how, tell me, Colby, how an enologist, how your job changes during harvest. As the enologist lab person, my job actually starts, like I said, with other lab interns. My job actually starts a few months before everybody else's. I start checking grape maturation and making sure that everything is moving along out in the vineyard. I'm also testing harvest vineyard samples, depending on if the winemakers prefer to go out and pull samples. 
sometimes we have, if we are actually bringing in fruit, the truck driver will bring some vineyard samples for us to check as well. I know a few winemakers I have worked for like to go and get the samples themselves. They like to check specific rows or blocks. And I know we have actually, one of my first wineries I worked for, we hired a vineyard intern who would go out on a four-wheeler and pull samples down the street and bring them back. And the lab interns would check them. And oh, man, that guy got lucky. <laughs> he he had an awesome job that is for sure he'd come in with like the sunglass tan line and everything and a whole dirt. bucket full of different samples but that also we check bricks which are sugar levels to make sure everything is ripening most wineries will aim for a specific bricks number we are checking ph ta yan and any other analysis that winemakers may ask of and we can obviously go into that when we talk about more lab Ooh. analysis. <laughs> I am in charge of inoculations. So some wineries like to do native ferment where they just let the tanks or wherever go off on their own. But most wineries like to inoculate with yeast. And there is a very specific way to do that. So you don't kill your yeast and you know that you're going to make sure that this is going to ferment properly. If you do it too late, it could take off on its own. If you do it wrong, you could actually kill your yeast. And then that tank, that bin, whatever it is, is going to sit there and not actually ferment and can go bad very quickly. So you're or knowing, sorry to interrupt, or knowing as you know, just definitely during harvest, you got to be the person to know which input or ingredient goes in in which order that's super specific because if you are supposed to add sulfur one day to kill off all the native stuff and then the next day you're supposed to add the yeast and you brain fart and send your tech out and they add yeast one day and then get it with sulfur you just killed off all your yeast. you just killed your ferment <laughs> yeah right. and then we're also monitoring those ferments making sure that depending on if we're doing whites or reds or specific whites we want that to go through alcoholic fermentation and malolactic fermentation we want to monitor that to make sure that it's moving at a proper pace and doesn't get stuck Sometimes, depending, it could be the vineyard, it could be because of specific analysis that we ran, we know that this is not going to finish ferment. So we may need to add different nutrients to keep it going. We want to monitor that. And if it does stall out or before it stalls out, ideally, we can do those ads. We can do mallow fermentation as well, or we can let that go native. For the most part, that will kind of just do it on its own. To start out, not always, but most of the time from what I have seen. Right. But I prefer to ferment for primary and secondary. That way I know that it is going to actually go through. And part of the job is to pull samples every day to check the bricks to make sure that it is fermenting properly. And we're checking temperature of our tanks or bins to make sure that we don't cook our wine during fermentation, it's going to get hot and you want it at a certain temperature. You don't want it to get too hot because you will actually cook your wine. I have seen that before in previous places. You immediately know just by the smell of it, just by the look of it, the taste of it, that it has been cooked. There are ways to fix it. There are ways to cover it up. But during this part, you are checking every single day to make sure that everything is moving properly. That is probably the hardest part is to organize 
that data and make sure that it is ready at specific times. A lot of winemaking is hurry up and wait. That is a lot of what the lab does. We hurry, get these analysis, get these samples done, and then we wait for the next step. Whenever it's the winemaker tasting it, approving the next step, or if it's the seller hand, seller interns doing the next step. And then we hurry up and get as much done as we possibly can and wait. Having everything organized and ready to go is one of the most important things. Then just retaining those samples for tastings, kind of knowing what you're looking for or what you're not looking for. In some places, I know that previous wineries, you go up to the top of the tank and you smell the tanks. Whereas some other wineries, you pull from the sample and take them to the lab. Whereas other wineries, I have seen winemakers actually go tank to tank to write notes. We actually had like a whole note, like actual letter size notepad of tasting notes, smelling notes, just double checking the bricks and temp of them saying like, please double check this tomorrow for this specific data. So it's a lot of analysis, but different analysis than what we do throughout the year. And it's a lot of monitoring, constantly double checking our work. Right. And that is so, so crucial during harvest. And I'm going to kind of supplement Colby's lab, I guess, a little bit during harvest because Um, as you know, I was one of the winemakers that would come in and taste and it was well-organized and notebooks with the data in it were well-organized to where I didn't have to go into the database and search necessarily for each wine lot's data, you know, being able to flip the page. And I know for her lab, especially, I think the full-time winemakers, year-round winemakers, they were usually there about one o'clock in the afternoon to taste. And so all of her harvest data needed to be done by one o'clock because winemakers came in, tasted, and then she still needed another four hours or so to go and get that work done if there was an immediate nutrient ad that needed to be done. So moving on from the harvest enologist position, let's take a look over at Cellar Master during harvest and what they got to do out there in the cellar. Because like the Cellar Master we talked about in the year-round position, they do kind of being a little bit of administration, more cellar, but a lot. For the Cellar Master, I have a few expectations that I would want them to do as the winemaker. Creating a pre-harvest list of rental equipment. I don't know any winery out there that doesn't rent some sort of equipment for harvest because they just aren't going to use it all year-round and it's too expensive to benefit them in purchasing it just for a two- or three-month position. So they need to come up with like, we're going to need a few extra forklifts, maybe a forklift with a tipper or a rotator on it, because we're going to be dumping bins of fruit into a press or into a hopper. That's one thing. Even the largest wineries I know of, they rent forklifts. And then maybe we need an air compressor. We do pulse airs, but we only do it during harvest for fermentation. So we need a bigger air compressor to fit that or generators for outside lights for the crush pad, stuff like that. As well as I know a lot of urban style wineries don't have a place to put their compost. So the cellar master would be in charge of a little bit of waste management as well, because that's what I would incorporate into a cellar master job would be that waste management stuff. He would be the person to focus and help focus his full-time cellar staff, as well as himself on training new and oncoming interns for the physical and hands-on cellar. He's going to be the person that explains you're going to need an extra valve here. Put an extra valve on the outside of your positive displacement pumps because even if you turn off the pump, 
You're going to have wine flowing through that from bigger tanks, smaller tanks. The stuff that normal people coming off the street to work harvest aren't going to necessarily have that viewpoint. They're not going to think of head pressure and how that's going to push through a pump. They're going to think, I turned off a pump. A pump's like a big valve. It will stop the wine. It doesn't. He's also going to be in charge of crush pad setup and prep. A lot of wineries that I know, especially the smaller type one, put away their crush pad equipment for the year into a storage building or a lean-to or some type of covered space outside where they're not necessarily going to have it in place. Large wineries, obviously, they're going to have their presses fixed to the concrete and in place because those presses are huge and they're not giant augers that go up to the presses from where they dump fruit and all that kind of stuff. And so it's just not it just doesn't benefit them to move that stuff. But small wineries are going to do that. The cellar master is going to need to get that equipment out, do the pre-harvest maintenance on it, do the pre-harvest cleaning on it because it's going to be full of spiders, mice nests, because that little ladder press is a nice place for a mouse to crawl up inside of and make their nest for the year, that sort of thing. Or like the last winery I was at, there's bird poop all over it because they made nests in the rafters and pooped all over the top of your presses and your equipment. It's, it's the way equipment goes. And so he's going to be in charge of all the mechanics mechanical equipment and getting basically the physical seller ready for harvest as far as that goes. Also, like I said, our hands. So let's talk about them for harvest real quick as well. During harvest, the seller master, he's going to be in charge of, along with his seller hands, in charge of fruit processing and sorting for the most part. They're going to be intaking those trucks. They're going to be using the forklift to offload that fruit, telling the assistant winemaker or winemaker, hey, the fruit's here, probably weighing the bins. The assistant winemaker might be out there to weigh those bins, but most of the time, if it's a larger winery, they're going to be out there weighing the bins, giving those numbers, making sure that those numbers are accurate to give to the winemaker to the winemaker, because they need to know that stuff, even for crush. They knowledge and the assistant winemaker are going to be making calculations for, for sulfur that's going to go into that fruit right away to kill the yeast out of the vineyard and also for at crush tannin add or color add something of that sort might be happening that they need to know accurate numbers for so that way they don't have to delay the start of their fermentation as we added way too much sulfur at crush and we got to wait for that sulfur to dissipate those sorts of things they're going to be in charge of what i would call maintenance of the physical ferments they're going to be doing cap management punch downs, pump overs. That cap is going to float up over an 8 to 12 hour period. They're going to need to knock that cap back down. Um, yes, the enologists and the winemakers are going to be out there looking at those ferments. They definitely don't have time to do all the cap management and that sort of thing at a economically viable winery uh, of some sort of scale. They are going to be in charge of moving juice and new wine. Like in white wine, we're going to cold settle or we're going to float like some wineries do now, the least to the top. They're going to be in charge of actually getting those movements taken care of in a clean and efficient manner. We're leading on the cellar master and cellar hands to make sure that the interns are properly doing the the racking of the wine and or juice and making sure that that's moving properly and even after ferment racking of the wine right they're going to be the ones to drain the tanks especially red tanks and do the dig outs again winemakers don't really have time or you know have dug enough tanks in my life geez i cannot think of how many tanks i've dug out and i'm pretty much over the excitement of digging out tanks honestly oh it's uh, pretty exciting the first couple of times you do it it's really fun and tiring and very dirty and everyone wants to jump in a tank at some point yeah and every every year i probably dig out one or two tanks just because you're right it is fun to get out there and start moving skins and pulling it out and and doing that sort of thing but towards the end of harvest i'm not getting in a tank or wanting to get in a tank <laughs> 
game can move it. Honestly, I couldn't yeah, imagine. Yeah, the first time is fun. The hundredth time is, when is this ever going to end? <laughs> right. And by the time you're at month two, um, 90 to 100 hours a week, you're not wanting to do that. And yes, I understand that the seller hands are in that same position, but that's why you hire nice, young, strong seller hands. <laughs> um, especially ones that are able to keep doing that, you know. And as a management of an assistant winemaker or seller master during harvest, kind of the person that, hey, seller hand in the last few days has dug out four tanks. Let's not have them get in another tank, knowing that there's probably muscle fatigue and stuff like that. And, you know, doing that kind of personnel management, it's kind of the on the fly per- personnel management that I would expect out of him. And even out of some of the seller hands and, and interns, you kind of think of your people and think how you would feel if you were doing it. I think that's really important um, and, and make sure that happens. They're going to be in charge of, like I just said, draining and pressing. So digging out those tanks, getting those skins moved to the press in a clean and efficient manner. The seller master really, I think, has to be kind of a stickler for this and being on top of his people about maybe let's not fling skins all over the winery. Number one, you're going to be finding those till March if there's skins that get flung all over the place. Not to mention those skins are still valuable to us. We're wanting to go into a press. The less they're flung out of the tank and sloshed into bins and going everywhere, the better for the wine, the better for the whole process as a whole because there is that calculation that maybe they might not understand. We look at loss during harvest. We know what we expect out of that fruit we know what we got last year out of that same block or same fruit and so if there's a big difference we're going to be asking questions what happened why how come and if their excuse is oh well we scooped up two tons worth of scrape skins off the floor and threw them away and didn't press those well that's a big difference you know we've lost 400 gallons of wine that sort of thing or probably less than 400 but you know it could be in that range depending on how saturated those skins are so just making sure that's all done cleanly well efficiently just the same as like if a valve or a hose is dripping while you're moving wine well if it's a three-hour wine process you could lose five and gallons depending on the size of the leak right onto the floor making sure that that equipment tight those valve handles but Butterfly valve, it's all sucked together and tight. And like we always say, the gaskets are, are well done. The, the stupidest little thing can cause the biggest difference. I remember last harvest, foreign pressure line gasket failed, and we had a geyser of wine four feet tall. Or our gasket on our press, which was elevated, failed, and it looked like the press was pooping out grape skin out the back <laughs> end of it. It was horrible, a horrible mess that came down to a little tiny thing and making sure that maintenance was done properly and making sure that your people knew what was the proper equipment. That comes down to that training. That pre-harvest training. The seller hands and interns, especially the interns, are going to be in charge of again, like Kobe and I've said the whole time, cleaning and sanitizing, cleaning and sanitizing crush pad, cellar, tank, not just pre-harvest daily. Working the graveyard shift overnight's last harvest, a lot of my interns and seller hands, once we were done with the wine movements that we needed to by one o'clock, two o'clock, pressure washing. Yes, day shift tried to do their job and get as much of that done, but heck, we were busy. Everybody was busy. And by the morning, we were trying to get it cleaned up and ready to go for the new day. I was always one of those people, and I still am, to like to start fresh on a new day. And when I was the person ending the previous day, I wanted the people to come in and feel like well-rested, everything's clean, deep breath, here we go, let's start another one. And so that's what kind of those seller hands are in charge of. And then again, new day, prepping everything to be ready to come in for the next day. We were pressing sometimes right up until the new fruit the next day was coming. Wineries, that's what they do. They press and they push for it. So so that's kind of the seller end of harvest hard work, hard work and cleaning. I don't think that there's much more to it. That's pretty much winemaking in a nutshell, I would say.
Assist, assistant winemaker. This is a position that I've held and done intimately. Um, and the assistant winemaker is the person to make sure harvest runs as smooth or as difficult. The assistant winemaker isn't on top of the job. Harvest is going to be difficult. If the winemaker is on top of the job, harvest is going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be hard and it's going to suck at times. It's going to be long hours because it's harvest, but it's going to be smoother. They are kind of the oversight and intermediary between the winemaker, the lab, and the seller. They're the person that's going to see the, the output numbers from the lab and help interpret those to the seller for needs and the winemaker. They are managing inventory. This is so huge. And a lot of the job, knowing, okay, we have this much tonnage left to come in. Do I have enough sulfur? Do I have enough appropriate yeast for the varietals and tonnage that are coming in? Knowing that in your head. They're usually the person pre-harvest that's going to sit down and go, okay, what do I need? Where's our tonnage looking? Talking to the winemaker and going, What's our tonnage look like this year? What are we aiming towards? The winemaker is going to give the assistant winemaker a number, and then you're going to sit down and crunch. I need yeast for that. How much yeast did we use last year on this much tonnage? How much nutrient adds? That sort of thing. Also, communicating with the enologist and the lab going, okay, we're a little hotter this year. What do you think? Do you think we're going to need more nutrients? Do we think we're going to need more sulfur? What do you think? And getting their opinion. It's important as the assistant winemaker to get everybody's input from the winemaking team going, okay, how's this year look? Are we heavy? Are we light? Uh, hotter a year? pH is TA's tab. What have you seen from the fruit so far? Before I make this order, you're making your order kind of while vineyard samples are coming in. So you know, hey, my pH is a little higher. My pH is a little lower. Maybe I'm going to need some acid adds. So ordering the appropriate amount of, you know, tartaric acid or malolactic acid, if you're going to need that, as well as ordering way out in advance. Maybe you're going to need some new barrels this year. New barrel rotation. At least those suggestions to the winemaker. Are we using some oak alternatives? Make those suggestions to your winemaker. Again, great communication between a winemaker and assistant winemaker. It's so crucial and so key that you're going to be the person to go, hey, are we going to use those staves again? We used them last year for this lot. Maybe we should do that again. Did that work? Maybe it didn't. Maybe we should go back to putting that wine in barrel. Just those sorts of tasting choices that the winemaker is attempting or trying to do. And a lot of what the assistant winemaker does before harvest is work very closely with the enologist in being able to plan that. The enologist and the lab gets firsthand numbers and just seeing the fruit firsthand before anybody else does, they should be able to know what we may need for harvest. And so the assistant winemaker really needs to work with the lab and understanding and future prepping what we will need, kind of planning out as much as you can for harvest. I mean, harvest is kind of always up in the air, but the assistant winemaker is the person that does most of, if not all, of the planning beforehand. Right. The communication is key. They have to be that secretary type person to go, what are we going to need? Where are we going to need this? It's all coming into their office to be able to spit out those numbers. If you're not the one running the vineyard samples, how are you ever going to know it's a hot year and pHs are down or pHs are up or that sort of thing? Some wineries, you could be a thousand pounds of tartaric acid off. And now what? Now I got to run down to the store, the wine supply, and hopefully they have a thousand pounds. This is harvest for everybody and everybody's getting their so they might be a week out from being able to get you that supply where you could have ordered it three months ahead of time and had that appropriate supplier two months ahead of time and knowing that that fruit coming in differently. Most suppliers make you do an order before harvest, months before harvest. And 
having an assistant winemaker who knows and has a educated guess on how much they'll be producing that year to be able to do that one-time order will set you up for a very successful harvest. If you kind of guess and not really know, and then you have to have three or four more orders during harvest, you're in a time crunch during harvest. If you have to do three or four more orders, that can put everything behind schedule. (laughs) Yeah, you're exactly right. And not to mention your winemaker and ownership are going to be a lot happier with you if you do that one order at the beginning, because usually the companies that I worked with or the suppliers that I worked with usually would give you 20% off, 30% off, that sort of thing. And so with that, you're going to save them 20, 30% where that markup's going to be a lot bigger and or they're going to give you free shipping. So you're going to have pallets and pallets of stuff that you're not paying to truck over to your winery as opposed to when you have to order you bags. Guess what? They're going to pay, they're going to charge you, especially if you got to ship it two-day, three-day. Two-day, three-day on a, on a semi-truck is super expensive. And so your ownership's going to, and winemaker are going to be asking you guys questions. Hey, why did we do this? What the hell? What's going on with that? A good assistant winemaker is going to want to prevent those questions. As much as they can, at least. I mean, there's only so much you can do to prep for harvest. You never know what's going to happen during harvest. Right. There is that chance that you're like, uh, all the information I had showed me getting 30 tons out of this vineyard, and they just brought me 60. That's a big deal. Or my seller hands, two different seller hands decided that they took the same work order or they saw a work order, thought it wasn't done, and we double inoculated a tank. That happens. It's um, all it all happens. Every possible scenario has happened at some point. Also, a good assistant winemaker will take that information from the previous year and go, it seems like we used 5-10% more of that last year. I'm going to order 5-10% to 10% more of that this year under the cheaper order and most i think if not all of the wine additives that we put into wine can hold over at least till the following harvest they usually at least have a 12 month shelf life if you store them in an appropriate manner like even the most expensive fragile thing that i can think of is the malolactic bacteria and you can keep those in the freezer till the following harvest and they'll survive obviously if you warm them up and the freezer goes dead, you're going to have to throw them out. They're super expensive. That bacteria is super for what it is. But still, if you order 5 to 10% more during one harvest, it'll hold to the next year if you don't use all of it or whatever. They're going to also, during harvest, plan and execute all of the winemakers' wants, operations, trucking, bulk wine movements if they need to. I know at the start of last harvest, we were still shipping out wine to get packaged as we had wine going into tanks. We were trying to filter wine through a cross flow for those shipments while we were also crushing wine and pressing it uh, as it was coming in. And the assistant winemaker, uh, oh yeah, they're in charge of both at the same time in the same day. So making sure that all that happens, they're going to make sure that seller master is getting the right people on the right job. And if they see this seller hands quite a bit slower at moving that wine or not as confident at making that setup to put it either into the tanker or out to bottling line or packaging or whatever, they're not as confident of making that setup, suggesting to get somebody else or just telling them to get somebody else onto that job to run it more efficient because you want to, as an assistant winemaker, eliminate as many unnecessary tasks as possible before fruit 
gets on the ground at your winery. That includes overseeing the pre-harvest setup that the cellar master is doing. Because being a nice extra pair of eyes, I don't believe in necessarily micromanaging cellar crews as much, but you walk out across your cellar or across your outside crush pad and you go, huh, they haven't moved the distemmer yet or cleaned it. We're supposed to have fruit tomorrow. Being that set of eyes, because yeah, maybe the cellar master forgot it happens and they'll go, oh crap. Yeah, let's go get that done. That way you're not receiving fruit while your distemmer is still wrapped underneath a tarp somewhere and hasn't been prepped, lubed, turned on, cleaned, sanitized or anything else. Just those little extra set of eyes. That assistant winemaker is going to be the overseer to make sure all that's done for the winemakers and for the, the winery. maker but i've held these jobs a little bit more than colby has but she's been a great observer of these but winemaker number one during harvest which the hardest part of being a winemaker logistics tank logistics fruit logistics they're the person in charge if it goes poorly there's only one person that's going to have to answer for that to the ownership group or the owners or even marketing sometimes of hey how come we don't have as much of this this year they're going to the winemaker to figure that out. They're not going to go to the seller hands, assistant winemaker, seller master, any of that. They're going to make the call when they pick fruit. First off, they're going to look at their calendars. They're going to be out there working with vineyard staff, work on timing. Larger wineries, they, they might have an entire winemaker dedicated to that, dedicated to the vineyard, how those vineyards work, how they operate. You're going to have to know, are they going to have pickers on time? I can tell them, hey, I want to pick this fruit at this bricks level. And so that's going to be around this date. If they never get the pickers or don't have the, the harvester up and running, or if their harvester's delayed, you got to know that because if your staff at the cellar is prepped and ready to go, but there's no truck showing up and you didn't tell them, they're going to be like, dude, what's going on? And your ownership, if they expect that fruit to be there fermenting and it's not there, they're going to be like, dude, what's going on? So that communication, timing. Also, during harvest, you only got 20 tanks. And they're all full, you can't bring in more fruit. So it's better, obviously, to leave that fruit on the vine where it's going to be safe than to pick it at the right optimum brick level. So the key there would be knowing your tanks, knowing when you're going to need to turn your tanks, knowing all that sort of thing, and making sure that all that logistical timing is on point. You're either going to back stuff up or at the same time, if you can prevent it, a lull, a dead space in your winery where you're sitting with open tanks, where you could have full tanks fermenting and elongating how long you're going to need to keep on interns, how long you're going to be paying people overtime, all that sort of stuff. So if you're elongating that stuff, your ownership's going to be like, why did we pay too much in wages? Because we had dead time, downtime, when we could have been fermenting and coordinating with vineyards. And so that's going to just be key. The winemaker is going to create hiring dates for harvest personnel. They're going to have to be in charge of that personnel budget. The ownership is going to put them in charge of making sure, hey, you only need 15 people. Don't hire on 30. So I'm the owner and I walk out to the, the seller. I don't see people just standing around doing nothing. Owners don't like paying people to do nothing. So as the winemaker, you're going to need to make sure that he, that happens on time and when those people need to come in. Obviously, on the reverse side, you're not going to want to be still be training people while fruit's coming in. You're not going to want people going to waste a lot of product. A lot of that stuff that the, maybe the assistant winemaker ordered or even grapes and stuff are going to get wasted if you don't necessarily have people that know what valve to put on. 
oh, now we jammed the line with must because we didn't have a big enough line or our must pump burnt out because we were pushing it too hard. Making sure that those people are hired in time to get the proper training. That's your job as that winemaker, knowing that ahead of time. Let's see, they're going to be, as that wine is fermenting, tasting it every day, knowing when and where that's coming in and out. Okay, you're going to have to be that person. You're going to have to taste that wine and know what your end game, end picture is going to be. If you don't have an end picture on a varietal that came in from a particular vineyard, you're not going to know what's going to happen. You're not going to know how that's going to work. As well as during fermentation and those tastings, you're going to want to go, that's weird. That smells like acetic acid or VA or whatever. And you're going to need to be able to go, you got to make a change. What wine was that? And no lab, where's these numbers? Know what to ask for from the lab. Because if the lab doesn't have direction for your vision, you're never going to know what is going on and to know what appropriate course of actions you're going to want. Weird molds. I saw a couple weird new molds that I hadn't encountered last harvest. It wasn't the fact that they were not necessarily supposed to be there. They weren't on the cap, but it was different. I was down in Oregon instead of in eastern Washington. Different climates. It was a much higher moisture content in the air, that sort of thing. So different molds grew in a different way, and I saw it in a different way. So just knowing those are. Making sure that your assistant winemaker knows what jobs for the next day are going to be done to solve those problems. Knowing that you can ask your lab, hey, lab, I want to investigate this. This seems off. Can you run this specific test for me or that specific test so we can make sure that there isn't inappropriate VA or something else happening, or maybe even going, hey, let's send this out for an outside lab to look at, just to double check our numbers, that sort of thing, or to look at something we don't have the ability to look at. Knowing as a winemaker, all of that science during harvest, you got, you got to know everything, unfortunately, or know where to find out that information. Young winemaker, I took pride in being able to go, okay, I know this other winemaker over here. Take him a sample of the wine that I think is off. Spending a minute going, hey, I, I can't solve this problem. What do you think? And having a little bit, I guess, of humility to go, I don't know everything, but I know how to find out the answers. Um, you don't have to know it right away. I, I wouldn't consider that a requirement. Now, there are snap decisions that are going to need to be made. Most of them are going to be on your, what are you going to want? What is your flavor profile? What are you looking at? What's that end game picture for those bridles, that vineyard, those wines, that sort of thing. Another part of being a winemaker is just paying attention to all those details of the process. Most, if not all, winemakers have been in some position of seller, lab, assistant winemaker. So they should know every aspect of winemaking. And they're there to be the person that can walk into a cellar and notice the little things. They're not the ones that are no longer performing those cellar tasks, but they should still know how these setups should look like. They should be able to go through and see if there are any problems going to the assistant winemaker or the cellar master and just being like, hey, I noticed this. Um, is this because this person knows a better way of doing that? Or do they know that this is dirty in some way? Like we need to be paying attention to these topics, these ideas, every single aspect of fermentation. And then they also are there to guide personnel to maintain efficiency and good operations of the harvest. They should be able to know like this setup doesn't look right. Why are they using this pump instead of this pump? They're there kind of as that support as well. They are not there to tell people 
what to do, how to do things. They, they're a little too busy to be doing that, which is why the assistant winemaker and the seller master are the ones that should be there. But the winemaker is there to offer support and just another set of eyes as well. Right. I would suggest every winemaker, every winery, the winemaker should be the most experienced winery person there. Hopefully been in the cellar for a few years, I would want, or at least in smaller wineries, be a hands-on winemaker in the cellar. And you're exactly right, Kobe. I would suggest every winemaker take a walk through your cellar twice a day. I like to do it right when I arrived at the winery. If I was the first person there, it gives you a great opportunity to smell those tanks without stuff being thrown into the air. But also you're right to be that person to look up and go, huh, there's a lot of fruit flies at the top of that tank. I wonder why. Probably because the lid's open, gaskets open, something like that. Or to go, huh, it's foaming over and there's a lot of, you know, foam running down the tank across the floor. Why is that? What can we do to solve that? Or my biggest pet peeve in the winery, why are all these valves dirty? How come nobody else is making this a priority? As a good winemaker, as a good manager, employer, whatever you want to call it, kind of using the ladder that you set up during the year. You're right, Kobe. Go into your sister winemaker. Go to your cellar master. You don't necessarily need to get on the interns unless you or seller hands, unless you immediately see an intern or seller hand leaving something dirty. Or sure. making a very or about to make a very big mistake. Right, exactly. Opening a valve without having something connected to the other end of the hose because they thought somebody else did or whatever, right? A huge detrimental mistake. But going through that process and being able to go, huh, that looks weird. Those sorts of things. You're exactly right. right. And then there are some times where a seller person is in the seller every single day. They may not see something that someone that's not in the seller does see. There could be this random pallet sitting outside that we walk by every single day, 10 times a day. We no longer actually see it in our minds. Whereas a winemaker will walk out and say, why is there a pallet there? And we actually never understood that there was a pallet there. We, we saw it, but we just never actually. Or a seller hand checked it in and you didn't, the assistant winemaker got the bill of lading put it on their desk because we're all super busy and running around doing a million things, didn't come back to it. And you're right. As the winemaker, you've seen that pallet sitting in that corner for three days and going, you know what it is. Let's say it's your extra bags of sulfur going, how come this hasn't been put away now? Or now it's been sprayed with water and I've wasted, you know, now I have bricks of sulfur or bricks (laughs) of acid instead of powder acid you know just those sorts of things you're exactly right being that extra set of eyes and it i can't say enough about a winemaker or an assistant winemaker that gets out there and goes what's that about and sometimes you're right those seller hands seller master they have great answers and they go oh this is what we're doing with it perfect there was a lot of times last harvest there were hoses all over the place i was like why is that that pump always got those hoses hooked up to it Oh, because we use it specifically for this process and we just clean it in place because we know we're going to do that process. But fantastic. Do that more because why waste the 20 to 30 minutes of seller hand work to hook those hoses back up if you're going to use it tomorrow for the same process? Now, obviously, if you don't have enough hoses, that's on you as the winemaker to make sure that those things are ordered and listening to your people. But they're going to have to break that down. They don't have that luxury. You're right. Being that extra set of eyes just to trust your people, but ask questions. Right. And then also just preparing before harvest, having these, knowing these priorities, having these things that you want done, making sure that 
these people know that this is going to be um, important to you. If you want these tanks cleaned within 24 hours, making sure that before harvest, your assistant winemaker and your cellar master know that this is a priority to you and being able to teach the cellar crew and the interns so that during harvest, they don't have to think twice about it. They already know if this tank is emptied, it needs to be cleaned within 24 hours. And then right. and also- knowing- uh, and knowing uh, just on that, that your operating procedures are heard and are being used if that is the process that you want done. Because so many times, every seller hand interns, this is a winemaker. At my last winery, that's you'll hear that a million times. As winemakers, we're going to be using, which is awesome and great. Those are great inputs to have, but you got to be the person to make sure that those processes are going to become second nature, like you said, Kobe. By the time harvest hits, you're not going to have time necessarily in the thick of harvest to sit back and go, uh, how do we do that again? Because that fruit might be too far gone, you know, going down the hill or whatever. No, you don't want to waste that product, that sort of thing. Right. And then also after harvest, hearing from your harvest winemakers and hearing from the seller master assistant winemaker, what went right and what went wrong and how we can change for the next harvest. The head winemaker is there to hear things and understand, know how harvest went. Maybe something that was a priority to the winemaker actually had to sit kind of as a B priority during harvest and wasn't as important as they may have thought it needed to be. And kind of just understanding and changing as we go and being there to understand like, like maybe this wasn't as important as I thought. The winemaker has to be the most flexible and unflexible person is a weird thing. Before harvest, be that solid person that is like, this is the way I want it set up. This is the way I want fruit to come in. This is the way I want it all to happen. These are the additives that I want to use. Because that's how your vision as a winemaker is going to be executed. And that way you can prep your assistant, your lab, your seller, what to look for, what they're going to do. You got to be the general. That's the pre-harvest stuff. During harvest, you got to be flexible. Yes, that might not be happening. Yes, that extra test you wanted the lab to run on every single lot of wine might not be happening. And if it's not super crucial, that's just knowing and being flexible enough to go, that's okay. I don't need to have, let me think, a a weird test, color test, a, a wavelength test ran on the wine throughout its ferment. That would be nice to see maybe. I don't know as a winemaker why I would use that because... You could probably look at your wine and tell that it's changing color or getting dark enough. Maybe not Pinot Noir, but in everything else. But your lab, maybe at a certain point, they're going, hey, we're just lucky we're getting bricks and temp done in four or five hours. Or we're lucky we're getting THTAs ran on the fruit samples instead of running that color test. Because that color test might take our machine an extra hour to run 20 samples. And you want 100 of them ran a day. Being flexible enough as a wiper going, you'll recognize that's ridiculous. Let's move on. Okay, fine. Or saying, okay, but I would like two done throughout the fermentation process. That way you can still see a color change or whatever you're looking for, but you're not overtaxing your people. Super crucial as a manager. Don't overtax them. And maybe just compromising and saying, let's run color when it first comes in. And once we crash it, once it's done, finished wine, we know 
what color we stand at with this specific vineyard. And then for the last part of being a winemaker is talking to the VIPs and (laughs) such during harvest. Just like Joe mentioned in the very beginning, the winemakers do it all. And just because it's harvest doesn't mean you have to stop doing everything outside of harvest. I remember at my last winery, we had the winemaker doing wine tours and winemakers dinners during harvest. So he would be helping out in the cellar or tasting through samples and then would have to stop and give a tour and talk to salesmen about possible new barrels or things like that during harvest. And that's why I tell my family, don't expect to see me during harvest. You're going to feel genuinely feel like you live at the winery. You're going to be leaving at midnight 1 a.m. sometimes and getting back there at 8, 9, 10 in the morning. That's harvest. Expect that as the winemaker, you're kind of the last one to leave and the first one to be there. And when you get home at night, you might still have work orders to write before your people get in there, especially if they're going to be there before you. Serve yourself. Don't overwork yourself. I see way too many winemakers burn themselves out during harvest, but you're going to be needing to meet the VIPs. You're going to need to be answering those questions. I mean, heck, there's been times during harvest, I was at a VIP thing and answering text messages on the side to the seller hands or the assistant winemaker doing the things of like, you got to have your brain in two positions. It takes a very special person, I think, sometimes to be a winemaker, because like we said at the beginning, got to be a scientist, psychiatrist, psychologist, a salesman, a manager, economist, all those things all wrapped into one to make sure that this winery stays afloat and stays cruising through uh, a good harvest. I hope this gives you a good viewpoint on also what these jobs entail for harvest. back to don't be chasing a title. All of these jobs that we mentioned have titles, but they can change in one way or another. And it depends on the size of the winery or the time of the year, just because your job title is enologist or assistant winemaker doesn't make you just that. You are you are everything. Every person in that winery is doing some sort of job outside of their job. Don't be chasing a title because it's never going to work out. Exactly. So if you like what you're hearing so far, please like and subscribe to our podcast. We would really appreciate it. And while we are still new and we don't know the direction of our schedule just yet, we will be trying to post new episodes roughly every week, every other week with everything that's going on. And even though it is February, we are planning for harvest already. So things can start to pick up where we're at right now. So we, we don't know what's happening with our schedule just yet, but we'll be trying to post new episodes. Right. And if there's anything you'd like to hear from us, subwise, shoot us an email at grape to glass pod at gmail.com. Or as well as if there is some suggestions on how you want us to approve, change, do something different. Let me know because Colby's an enologist and I'm a winemaker. So we're as far from or any kind of graphic design. <laughs> right. So we just kind of want to share our knowledge, but we'd love, love, love a community that would help us out and make this thing better and help share our love of winemaking and wine. So again, graped glass pod, P-O-D at gmail.com. And um, yeah, that's what I got. You got anything else for us this week, Kobe? Uh, not this week, but we'll All be right. back next week.
the next episode. Thanks, guys.